If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to the letter of 1 Corinthians. And we'll be considering chapter 3, verses 18 through 23 this morning as we continue our study walking through this letter together. Ecclesiastes, it tells us, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Well, history also echoes out that exact truth that there is nothing new under the sun. Now, as we think about that, we often think of there is nothing new under the sun in view of various rotations of life and history and other things. But this is also true in a different way. It's true of us as fallen humanity that we are often so easily tempted, enticed, and deceived. The cycle of deception that started in the Garden of Eden with the father of lies is so often repeated again and again and again and again. And you'll remember as you have your own times in the word, as you ponder the word yourself, you remember from the gospels when Jesus, he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And so the devil, as you will likely remember, he takes them, takes Jesus onto this very high mountain with the kingdoms of the world before his eyes. And the devil tells Jesus in Matthew 4, 9, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Well, friends, the devil is still playing that game right now, today. He is setting before us the world, its ways, and its supposed wisdom, and he is saying, see what you can have. See what I can give to you if you will bow down and just worship me. So deception and deceptions. And how true it is and how sad it is, how often we so often succumb to them. Well, for the Corinthians... They, too, have been deceived. And what Paul has been aiming to do and what Paul is aiming to do here in our passage is to bring them out of their deception, that they would not live according to the world and according to its deceptions and according to even its false wisdom and the lies of the devil, but rather than that, to live and breathe and thrive as those who belong to the Lord of the universe, to Jesus Christ. And so to see this, let's read our passage here, beginning with verse 18. May God help us, bringing us out of any deception, any falsehood, any lies this morning, that our eyes would see truly the world and God's creation according to true wisdom according to the true wisdom and knowledge of God given in his word. May God do that in your life, in my life, in our life this morning. 
chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God. So these verses bring the first part of Paul's overarching argument that he's been giving from chapters 1 through 3. He finally brings them to a head here, and he brings them to a conclusion. And so he's made clear over these last chapters, by God's immeasurable, undeserved grace, the Corinthians are what? What does he call them? Saints. (laughs) And we know what the Corinthians are. We have seen it and we will see it. They are a mess. But he still calls them saints. They are the redeemed children of God in Christ. Yet, even as Mike read a moment ago, as we saw, there is division among them. They are living in ways contrary to the gospel, to the spirit of God, and division and rivalry over leaders and followers of those leaders, it has boiled over. And Paul is saying that's no good. That's not to be. Yet Paul, he has made clear what they are, as in Paul Apollos, Cephas, and so on, what they are, what these leaders are. And what did he say in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9? He said that they are servants of Christ. That's their life. We live to serve Christ. That's what we're about. And so that's who Cephas and Apollos and Paul are. But then he goes on in chapter 3, verse 9, and he tells us what the Corinthians are. And he says that they are what? They are God's building. Even as he just said in chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, he said that they are also what? They are God's temple, the local church. And so here then, in our verses, Paul, he comes full circle and he connects his earlier discussion on the cross and wisdom directly to the Corinthians' divisions over leaders. And so rather than living according to that worldly way of life, that wisdom, like a sort of heartbeat of wisdom that is divisive and focused on people and leaders and their wisdom, Rather than that, he calls them to see the folly of the wisdom of this age. To see the folly of the wisdom of this age. Now it could be, now having said all that, you might be saying, and even just reading these verses, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Didn't Paul already talk about all these things already? 
I mean, do we really need to hear all this again? I mean, didn't he talk about that in chapter 1, right? I mean, verses 18 through 31, I mean, he talked about wisdom, and I think we got that point. Do we really need to hear all that again? Well, to answer your question, it is a definite yes. (laughs) One, because we have God's word right here saying you need to hear this again. And so he did, in some ways, talk about that in those verses, chapter 1, verse 18, onward. But here he's approaching it, wisdom and the wisdom of this age from another angle. And even reemphasizing this because it matters that much. They, the Corinthians, they are looking through the lens of the world in their rivalry rather than through the lens of the gospel rather than through the lens of Jesus Christ. And so the importance of understanding and really getting what Paul is saying here is urgent for you, it is urgent for me, it is urgent for us as believers. Because so often, isn't this just the issue? And what do I mean? Well, Scripture is not the lens through which we see the world. Christ is not the lens through which we see the world, but something else has taken its place. So often, even as you or I sin, isn't that exactly what's going on? We're taking something, some worldly thinking, some sinful thing, and we're looking through a different lens than God's word, than Christ our Lord and our Savior, which is what they're doing here. The heartbeat of let's follow Paul, let's follow Apollos, let's follow Cephas, that is a worldly lens and a worldly heartbeat. And so it's an issue, and Paul sees this. He sees the core of the issue is an issue of rival wisdoms and rival worldviews. This is the true rivalry going on here in the church of Corinth. And so Paul, he is aiming that they and we would bring our beliefs and our lives and everything in line with the truth, in line with the gospel, in line with Christ our Lord, in line with God's word. And so just to emphasize how vital this is, let me say this is often at the very core of our struggles Human flourishing is something that the world feigns. If you know what I mean, it fakes it. It holds it out to you and says, if you do this, you will have it. You will have human flourishing. And so it holds it out to you. When in truth, it cannot give you true, lasting, real human flourishing. I mean, how many times we we need to hear that over and over again because we again and again keep believing, well, maybe, maybe the world really does and it will give me this human flourishing that I'm looking for. But it can't. It can't give you that. Only Christ can do that. And this is what Paul is getting at here in our verses, especially because 
of how we began this morning. The real possibility of deception. The real possibility of self-deception. As he begins, let no one deceive himself. Friends, how often is this just the case? And not in small numbers, but millions and millions and millions of people throughout history again and again being deceived by all sorts of things. And you know it, right? I mean, people following, yes, false teachers. And what are they doing? Well, not just in one instance, but in many instances, they go and what, drink their Kool-Aid, right? And that happens again and has happened again and again and again throughout the history of the church. Or even just like dictators leading nations, even the world, into their web of lies. Friends, I don't think we really get and even take note of just how easily we are deceived. Even how easily we deceive ourselves. So in contrast to that, in contrast to deceiving ourselves, Paul, he says, you need to be a fool for Christ. Verse 18, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. Now note that, that you can think that you're wise and not be wise. Like, uh (laughs) uh-oh, Well, what sort of wisdom do you have? So how is that possible? Well, it's being wise in accord with this age. It's worldly wisdom. It's a worldly heartbeat that is flowing through your veins. And that worldly wisdom is devoid of the truth. And how many, maybe even you, and I would say probably all of us in a variety of ways, how many are living that way right now? Maybe you've been to school. Maybe you've read your books. Maybe you have a degree or you're aiming at getting a degree. And at the very center of all, your, all that you've learned is not what? In our universities and college is not What? God, Christ, it's something else. Now the question for us as believers needs to be, is that okay? (laughs) And maybe you thought, you know, if I learn all this, then I'll be wise. If I'm able to go, you know, maybe go into Jeopardy one day and answer their questions, then I'll be wise. Well, is that wisdom? And it may be, you may be wise in those ways, as in you might be wise in the eyes of the world, but not in the eyes of God. Friends, true wisdom is found and bound to Jesus Christ. It is Christ-centered. We have far too easily and casually taken on the wisdom of the world and we have adopted it as though it is the wisdom from God. 
Deception is far too often not all that far from us, but maybe even right at our feet. Now, how can I say that? Like, as you go get your engineering degree or accounting degree, or you go and get in the military, or wherever you go, whatever you do, you become a chef, stay-at-home mom, what are you doing? Well, let me ask you this question. As you go and you think through all the subjects of the world, who is it that created all of these things? And you know the answer. Was it not Christ who made it? It was made through him, as Colossians says, and what? And made for him all the subjects. They're not these foreign worldly concepts that we have. Who made all these things? Christ did for himself. You know, as one Christian author, he put it this way. The Son, S-O-N, is the unifying key to all that humans can know or understand. Such that, in the end, nothing can be adequately grasped apart from him. Is that how you see the world? Is that how you see the world that Christ made? Whatever field that you are working in, is that the way you see it? Or have you just taken on the world's wisdom and said, well, this is the wisdom of God? We need to be careful and know and see that Christ, He has made all things. And that thinking, knowing, learning, our learning is to be Christ-centered in every single area of life, whatever you do. If you are a garbage man, Christ-centered, garbage-getting for the sake of the gospel... So Paul, he is getting at this in education and in all things. It's a wholesale, Christ-centered view, heartbeat of Christ-centeredness in and of everything. Yet, for you to see the world this way, centered around Christ, what must you do? you must admit that you've been standing on the wrong footing. Isn't that what he says? You must become a fool, as in the world will think that you are a fool. You're going to look at engineering through the lens of Jesus Christ? You are a fool. Like, what does that have to do with engineering? What does that have to do with the military and defense? So you must become a fool as in the world will think you are a fool. Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we believe that. Now here's the funny thing. The deception, the thing the devil doesn't want you to know is that the world has always done that. It has always thought of God's children that way. It has always thought of God's children as 
fools. You just look back in your Bibles. And what? Cain and Abel. (laughs) Pharaoh and this, the world, this fool Moses. The people of Israel even. And who? The prophets. (laughs) Again and again. A different wisdom the Pharisees and Jesus, the world and Christians. This has always been the way it's been. Yet Paul points out in verses 19 through 20, the true folly. The true folly. The true folly is not making Christ central. It's when we don't make Christ central. And so to show this, Paul, he quotes from two passages here, one from Job 5.13 and the other from Psalm 94.11. And what's interesting is that quote from the book of Job was from someone by the name of Eliphaz. And as he says that, he catches the wise in their craftiness. That would be exactly what happens with Eliphaz. Now, if you know the book of Job... You know what happens as an Eliphaz's wisdom was what? Was shown to be folly in the end. Ironic. And so see what this says in verse 19. Hear it again. It says, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The issue isn't whether that's true or not. It's whether you're aligning your view of the world with the truth. And so if God says something is foolish, what is it? It's foolish. (laughs) And so this is a call for the Corinthians not to define their view of wisdom by the world, to define their view of wisdom by their leaders and by what, the leader, what leaders they follow, but they are to be defined by Christ. They are to live lives in submission to God and in submission to God's word. Now this means that you and I need to come honestly to God's words here. So how do we do that? How can you in the pew right now come honestly before God wanting to take these words to heart? Well, first, recognize your own proclivity to deception. Your own proclivity to deception. You can be deceived. I can. You can think you're something when you're not. The world can say you're something when you're really not. It could be that we are even fully convinced in our own minds about something and we are living in sin. You know, and honestly, I've seen this. And I like to say I've seen it once, but I've seen it many times among believers. They have convinced themselves that something they're doing is okay when it flies directly against God's word. 
And then they'll say, I have a peace about it. How easily we can be deceived, friends. You can be deceived. So first, recognize your proclivity to deception. And then second, recognize the very real ongoing threat of pride. Pride. Pride is such an enemy. And it's truly always on the clock. When you least expect it, it just pops out of nowhere. Maybe even during this sermon, you're thinking, I've got this. I don't need to hear this again. And what is that? I have heard 1 Corinthians preached 300 times. I know 1 Corinthians. I have not heard it preached that many times, but I'm exaggerating. Maybe you are here and you're feeling that. I know the Bible. I've studied. I've got the Greek down. I've got the Hebrew down. And so maybe you're just sitting here and saying, I'm not that wisdom of this age sort of Christian. But as we hear these words, we do need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our hearts. We need to check ourselves and see what's going on in our beliefs, in our doctrines, in our words, in our heart, in our lives, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our children, how we treat our family, our coworkers, and everyone else around us. And maybe you're hearing all of this, and in your heart you feel this pressure or fear even, of exactly maybe what the Corinthians were fearing because they really did like and they enjoyed the wisdom of this age, of their age. And so maybe you have that at your job. You have that respect. And so you fear even losing the world's respect. You fear losing your position or losing your place. You fear losing face in the midst of all these things that you've established in your your life that is founded on the wisdom of this age. And so the thought of being a fool for Christ is just simply too much for you. Yet friends, that's just the irony of this. It's only in becoming a fool that you can become wise. It's only in losing your life that you find your life. It's the move away from self to Christ that we find true wisdom and not folly. You see, you can gain the whole world and lose Christ, or you can gain Christ and gain everything. Because in Christ, there is true wisdom. In Christ there is true wisdom. Now you won't be praised for this sort of wisdom. And if you do, it's despite the wisdom of this age, not because of it. True wisdom is found in Christ with him at the center. So how might we walk in this sort of Christ-exalting, Christ-centered, humble wisdom? And it's just as Paul has been saying, it's only through the cross. It's only through Christ. It's only in 
Christ only in taking up his word, knowing it in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. It's in Christ-centered prayer. It's in not divorcing yourself from the church and then saying, I'm still spiritual. Because if you are divorcing yourself from the church, you're disobeying the Lord. And that's not spiritual. That's sinful. And so taking this up means that you won't do that, but you'll become part of it. You'll be ingrained in the local body of the church. And you'll find places to serve. You'll serve others. You'll love others. And you'll lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. So in Christ, there is true wisdom. And so here, we come then to these last verses. Verses 21 through 23. And Paul, he calls the Corinthians and us to cease boasting in men and the wisdom of men because all is yours. They had been boasting in Paul and Apollos and Cephas And yet now Paul is bringing his point home. Hope is not found in them. Hope is found in God, in Christ-centered wisdom, and in the truth. And here is where the devil's lies and temptations weren't just something Jesus underwent, but we do too. All the world is before you. It tells you that if you follow it, you will have it. Especially as Americans, we hear that from when we're born until we get old, that you can do whatever you want, you can have whatever you want, you can be whatever you want. All centered on the world, yet what does Paul say here? In Christ All creation is yours. This is the trick, isn't it? The world boasts great things, but can't ultimately give them. God promises great things, and he always ultimately gives them. The world says, see all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I can give you that. While God says to his blood-bought children, see all the creation in Christ, I have given you all of that. It's all yours. Verse 21, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You see, you and I are inheritors everything. The earth, the planets, the galaxies, everything, all is yours. And that's yours, not because of you, but because of Christ. This is what Paul is saying in verse 23. And you are Christ's And Christ is God's. Everything is his. 
And since you belong to Jesus, because you are Christ's, you inherit all of that. So Paul is saying, don't shy away from Christ, believers. Be a fool for Christ. Center your life and everything upon him. Not in any of us, but in Christ. Center your life on him. And so Paul is giving these grand, glorious truths that free us to live the cross in our day and really in any day. So let me ask you, have you been walking through trials? Have you been encountering days of just immense difficulty? Or maybe have you recently lost someone in your life that you love? Or is the world pressing against you as you work, as you aim to center your life on Christ? Or maybe are you here and you're weighed down by sin and by the world and by the cares of this life? Or maybe even as you heard all that we just said about pride is that fiend pride lifting up his ugly head once again. Well, in all those, you're being called to see trials do not have the final say. Death does not have the final say. Persecutions do not have the final say. Sin does not have the final say. Pride does not have the final say. Friends, in Christ is the victory. Period. He has bought for us everything. Eternal life, eternal glory, eternal flourishing. The future is ours. And so let your worries, let your fears, let your troubles, let your heartaches, let your sufferings be seen in the light of what is ours in Christ. And not letting your life be shaped by the world to be shaped by eternal realities. That's what we're being called to. And so the next time sin comes and the world comes and the devil comes and it takes you on a mountain and it tells you, see what wisdom the world has. See what the world can give you or even see what I can give you. You need to answer, be gone from me. All is mine, and I am Christ's, and Christ is God's. And so in doing that, do as this passage is calling us to here. Go and live, believers, not in theory, But in truth, go and live not according to worldly rivalries nor worldly wisdom, but live as those who belong to Christ, the Lord of glory. Let's pray together.
Father, we come before you having heard your word. Lord, you know our need this morning, and I pray and we pray together. And you know our heart, you know my heart, you know every person's heart here. And Father, we pray that we would hear these things, and even as we see again and again in your word, you are not talking about theories, you are talking about realities. And we are being called to align everything in accord with eternal realities. And so help us, Father, to cease being theory-living Christians and be those who live out the realities of Christ as those who belong to Christ. We pray that you would help and work in our hearts, working out all nominalism and apathy and pride all self-centeredness and help all of us, each of us, come before you, before the cross of Christ and just say, Lord, I'm yours. All of me, you've given me this job, you've given me these things, you've given me these children, you've given me these neighbors. I will live for you. And so help us, Father, every person in this room right now would say exactly that. We would no longer live casually, but wholly for Christ. Help us, Father, in these things. We pray for any here who don't know you, that as we sing here in a moment, whether we're responding as believers to your word or whether we're responding as those who need Christ this morning, that you would work in our hearts and help us respond in this next song and that you would help us to see that Christ is the solid rock. And for those who don't know Christ, they would see that, they would look to Christ and they wouldn't leave this off for another day because the day is the day of salvation. And so help them even now to see their need for Christ and come whether after the service, during the service, may they come. We pray, we look to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.